Each choice we make moves us toward fear or love. On my Life and Laughter podcast, we'll talk about those choices and learn how to attract more love and connection and laughter. This is Perry Kinder. Let's get started. For the last 30 plus years, my guest today, Mary Nichols, has been an intelligent, calm, poised, beautiful, trusted face on the news for us at KUTV too. And I am so honored to have her here in my studio today. So thank you for being here, Mary. You're talking about me? I am talking about you. (laughs) You're so nice. (laughs) You've been um, just part of our community for so long, and you're just a trusted face, and people just really respect you. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. And people might not not know that you're an Emmy winner. You've Mm -hmm. won Emmys. You've come from a large family. You have eight siblings? Yes, I'm the eighth of nine kids. Oh my gosh. Where where were you located in that? I'm the eighth. 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 I have one wow. little sister. Yeah. And where did you grow up? In Seattle. Oh, fun. In the south end of Seattle, a little town called Renton. Oh, never heard of it. Renton, Washington. Renton. All nine of us went to Renton High School. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're like the legit baby boom generation. <laughs> right. Dad was a World War II Navy vet and married mom and then went overseas for a year and came when they came for more than a year. And when they came back, when he came back, um, they started having kids. Wow. They had some time to make and up. They had nine kids in 18 years. <laughs> oh, so geez. I can't even fathom that. I have four daughters and that's just like, I nope. can't either. I mean, I only have two. I have twins. Yeah. Um, and and they're, are they 24 24 now? 24 oh, now. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I just can't imagine nine kids nine and no money. Kids. Dad was a telephone man <laughs> and mom didn't work until the last two of us were in elementary school. Wow. They just and make do. Yeah. They just, yeah. They just made do. And mom ended up running the world. I mean, she, I think I had one older sister, um, volunteer her to be in the PTA. Well, she ended up <laughs> nice. running the state PTA. She was like the state PTA president. And then she was the school board president and she started an, um, a youth service center. Wow. And founded the Renton area youth services and helped foster kids and pregnancy counseling and drug counseling. And it, it, it just, they just helped everybody. Wow. So you come from a family with really driven talents, really wanting to get things done, just jump in and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Hardworking, resourceful, resourceful, hopefully. (laughs) And she ended up running for office. She was a state legislator. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Good for her. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And you work on a lot of, with a lot of charities and you work with Head Start and the Guadalupe Center and uh, the Police Athletic League and you make meals for the Ronald McDonald House. You know, I still like a saint. Well, I think (laughs) right now I'm on the board for Image Reborn Foundation. They do breast cancer, breast cancer retreats. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So anybody diagnosed with breast cancer or survivor or whatever, uh, going through treatment, we do these free retreats oh, wow. where you really bond with other people right. going through the same thing. Boy, and it's, it's really cool. Um, I was with, um, with Head Start and uh, that, that they had some changes. What else have I been doing lately? I was with Women of Worth. Oh, right. Another good organization. Yeah, I've done a few different things, but the, the meal thing started because of my mom. She baked pies oh. and would auction them off at fundraisers. I love her even more. And <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> she would auction them off. And I remember her baking like an apple pie and saying, they paid $200 for these two pies. And she was like nervous because oh. they had donated $200. And right. I thought, and I was on, what was it? Children's Service Society when I, probably 30 years ago. Wow. And, um, at one of the fundraisers, I said, I, I make really good chicken enchiladas. I'll do a chicken enchilada dinner and see what it goes for. Right. And I think it went for like $80. And wow. I thought, okay, that's great. I just sold um, three of them for the Image Reborn Gala 
for $4,000 a piece. Oh my gosh. Those are some damn good enchiladas. And, they, <laughs> and it's, it's for 20 people and wow. I've gotten a band to come and help. And oh, I had somebody gosh. else who pitched in beer. They'll make that make and bottle beer with your label wow. for your party. And it's <laughs> just so crazy. Cool. So it's that gone a little so nuts. Fun. And it's now I really... feel, I'm like nervous. I love to cook, but holy cow. <laughs> no pressure. No yeah, pressure. $4,000. No yeah. <laughs> And, and just, you'll be my first episode. You are my first episode in 2022. Oh. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like New Year's Eve is a celebration anymore. It's more like we're kind of collapsing over the finish line every year and <laughs> getting up and running another marathon <laughs> and then collapsing again. How have you survived the last two years, 18 months? What's I, it been like for you? I think I've been really lucky to get to go to work every day. Yeah, that is lucky. I, I, I feel for the people who've had to work from home and not have the social contact. So I've had that social contact. And um, we had, my, my father was failing in health. And so I ended up traveling quite a bit, oh, even wow. with still all in, the in restrictions. The area? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. my father and seven siblings, seven siblings and their families all live in the Seattle area. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I have one brother in California and I'm here. So we get home quite a bit. Right. But, uh, so I traveled quite a bit to spend time with him. And uh, so it was a tough, tough year. Sure. Yeah. Because he passed. Oh, I'm so sorry. He passed in May. What, did he pass in May? He was almost 97 for crying oh out loud. Oh my gosh, still, it's a yeah. loss. It's such a huge, a but huge I did space travel in your a lot. life. I feel like I still tried to do things without, with all the restrictions, I tried to make things work. Right. I'm so glad you yeah. got to see him because so many families didn't get to see their loved ones before they passed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I actually spent time before the pandemic um, giving his wife a time to go stay with a friend for a weekend. Oh, and nice. I'd get, I'd take a four day weekend or whatever and get to hang out with dad. And right. I tried to make it seem like I wasn't babysitting or taking care of him, but he was letting me have a place to stay. So, <laughs> that's, that's very and it nice. just so happened that Marlis needed to leave. So <laughs> that's tried good. to make that work, but I did get to spend really good quality time since I don't live there. Right. I got to stay with him. And my other siblings didn't get to stay overnight and get up and have breakfast with him. So I feel like I was lucky. That is, that's really yeah. cool that you got it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's the been so time, much loss. We, yeah. we do try to make the best of it. I know my son graduated from college and moved to the Seattle area to get a job in the legislature. Uh, my sister's a lobbyist at the state legislature and she thought he, she could get him a job. He signed a lease and then COVID hit Oh no. and everything went virtual. He didn't get to meet all oh. the people she knew and, and, it, and he struggled. He just worked retail and then he just moved back to Hawaii to get his, uh, his master's. Oh, that's rough. So, well, that's where he got his <laughs> bachelor's degrees nice. and decided, oh, well, I'll go back. I was really happy. So that's very cool. Yeah. So now working two jobs and trying to get his master's because oh, it's too expensive to live there. That's, so hopefully he'll yeah. learn from that, but <laughs> You never know. <laughs> what's what's the return on investment for a philosophy exactly. master's anyway? That's yeah. true. A, a sweater with patches on the elbows. Yeah, yeah. maybe a pipe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the former president, I think he really discovered a vein of fear running through our country. It was already there, but I think he took a wedge to it and chiseled at it and made it made the divide even bigger. You know, he really pitted um, people who felt like they hadn't had a voice for a long time. He gave them a voice and he bad othered everybody. And part of that attack, part of that campaign in his presidency was directed at the news. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm was, an enemy of the people. Yeah, absolutely. And it was mostly directed at cable news shows that didn't agree with him, but that had to trickle down to even local stations here in Utah. How did that affect you? <sighs> It upset me that people believed it. And 
what do you think they did after being trusted for so many years? I think because it started maybe with some cable extremes, but then it ended up being the media. Right. Just a general and blanket. Then it's general the media. Everybody is against him and it's not true. Some of us are still journalists. Right. And still And very tell fair. both sides of yeah. the story. And I, I, I use the example, it was Flag Day and it was President Trump's birthday. June 14th is his birthday. And I took a picture of him in the graphic with the flag, the American flag, and a picture of me with with him in the monitor. Right. And I posted it on Facebook and said, it's the president's birthday and it's flag day. Right. Do you have facts. What what would you like to say? I just kind of opened the door. And I had both sides. People were saying, why are you always picking on him? And how dare you? You work for Sinclair Media. You're only promoting the... And it's like, oh my gosh, I guess that's fair. Because if you piss off both sides, then Then, you're doing your job. job. But really, we don't want to piss off both sides. We want to tell the story and tell both sides of the story. And I just opened the door. I... I That's was crazy. just stating a fact. I yeah, wasn't just, it's the celebrating. I wasn't saying I love him. I wasn't saying I hate him. Right. But people read into it what they wanted, and it was so stoked because of that. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing right now is people just reading into everything. Every nuance, every sentence is analyzed and dissected until they find the piece that either offends them or agrees with them. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect you as a news person? Did you, did you see... Did you see a lot of people just not watching news or, or being very angry about the news? I what? think there are more people who they are now watching what they believe. Mm. They're watching the people they agree with or right. the sources that aren't news. Right. And I, I kind of as, have always believed that some cable programs that looked like news are what started the downhill slope. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it wasn't, they weren't journalists. They were commentators. Right. They're entertainers. And they were doing what they do, but they tried to make it look like a newscast. And then it ended up being roundtables and everybody yelling. And I stopped watching sports talk shows that did that too, where they started just yelling at, oh, yeah, at each just, other. Just, just um, <laughs> it's, it's sports. It's, it doesn't it's dis- matter. He has a discussion. <laughs> Why are you yelling at each other? <laughs> right. but, but with politics, it gets so personal. Right. And people believed them because they were acting like news people. Right. And they I had think the studio that started, and they had the jacket and the tie. It started chipping away the trust in real news people. It, but we're still doing what we've always done. Right. And in fact, I was just talking to our promotions guy for the station and I said, you know what? People have trusted us for decades. They can still trust us. Right. We didn't change. We didn't all of a sudden start believing one side or the other. We're still telling the truth and both sides and for people to all of a sudden say you're not telling the truth we know the truth right and it's it's really hard to swallow especially I've been the health and medical reporter oh. for 30 years <laughs> right for but channel two the check your health time program the and years. baby your baby right. and public health is public health it's not a politic it doesn't pick a side right it's not a republican or a democrat everybody is public that that's a major that's, yeah. You get your degree in public health communication <laughs> so you can learn how to spread messages to keep people healthy. Right. You're not trying to kill people. Well, are you? <laughs> wear your seatbelts. Right. Get your mammograms. Yeah, wear a mask. You know, and it, they're trying to help people. I mean, with HIV, it was the same thing. Right. They were having people get tested. We need to find out and help people survive. And any other measles, get yeah. your vaccinations. Um, they're... Vaccines are required in schools, and it's 
the COVID vaccine is, we were lucky that they found that the, what was it called? The, um, the plan where they, what Trump started oh. the, for the vaccine. Oh, the, I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of it either fast something, but they, they sped up the whole process so right. they could come up with the vaccine quicker. And all the scientists got together and said, Hey, we got it. Yeah. And it came out and now all of a sudden they don't trust it. Yeah. But it's, they're just smart and they took away the red tape and let them let them do their jobs do and, science yeah do, do their science yeah. and and it's funny because i was i was talking to our um, meteorologist about um science how it changes because the weather changes right and seven days out from a storm you're saying it's going to start snowing at two o'clock in the morning well four days out from the storm it's going to start snowing at four or five in the morning and then two days out from the storm, maybe it's not going to start snowing till seven. So why are you flip-flopping? <laughs> exactly. Why are you telling us wrong things? <laughs> You're lying because to us. Because the science changes. Right. And the weather system changes. You can't fix that. And you're going off of facts. Right. Yeah, I look back at news reports from, you know, March of 2020, and we didn't know anything. And mm -mm. we have flip-flops since then because we, we have learned since then. We've discovered new things and science has discovered new things. They're not lying. Yeah, they're not lying. They're not changing their mind. It's just new information. Mm -hmm. And usually you take new information and grow on that. And it seems to be not, not a thing anymore. But <laughs> with, with social media, they can doctor videos now oh, and yeah. run video that's that terrifying. was that Fauci said something in March of 2020. Right. Well, it's not true now. Right. Well, no, it's not true now. Because science changed. Right. We learned. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, but they make it out that he's a liar now. Right. And it's like, no, he's not lying. He's been doing the same thing for seven presidents. Yeah. For decades. No matter the party. And you mentioned social media and, and how, you know, the platforms really curate what you see based on what you pay attention to. And so if you're looking for the division, if you're looking for the fear and reasons to be angry, you're going to find it. It's going to come right to your feed. You're going to... I don't think you need to look. You're going to roll around in it. Yeah. Sometimes it's smacking you in the face. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Like my posts. <laughs> right. How dare you? <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> Help you learn a lesson. <laughs> but but it, that's the thing is people are so on edge. Right. It Maybe it's from the lockdowns. Maybe it's from working at home or losing a job or losing a loved one but everybody's nerves are right there right. and they're ready to jump instead of soak things in Yeah, we're, and think. We're not on the fight or flight. We're just on the fight. We haven't even reached the, right. the flight part. Yeah. yeah. And how as a news person, what is your, what is your role? I can't say you're going to heal the, heal the world and you know, rainbows and unicorns, but how, how can you bring trust back to the people who watch you? And is that even possible if they're so set against believing what you're saying? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, some are hard to argue with. Or I will point out, I had somebody, in fact, just met, gave, sent a message yesterday and said, you're reporting this wrong, but you work for Sinclair. And it's like, and it was the same thing that people are saying, you're a liberal media. And it's like, Sinclair is conservative. Right. And it's liberal media. <laughs> and we're in the middle. So I tried to say, well, then that, that kind of shows that we're doing our job because we're telling both sides of the story right? and we're telling the truth down the middle. No, you're not. And it's, well, some people will listen and say, okay, I believe you believe that and it's okay. Mm. But others will say no, and I'll never watch you again. And it's such a different environment. Even from three or four years ago, it's just when really we so haven't much. done anything different. Yeah. When the news industry didn't change no. for the most part, I think majority of news people mm -hmm. didn't change. 
And being in the news, you really deal with the outlier stories. You know, you see the very, very worst and the very, very best because news is news because it's unusual. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those really tragic stories that you have to report and and be so composed? How do you what, how do you keep your energy up to do that? Well, I've always thought that you can tell the story. When you're telling a story, you have to use your hands and you have to be engaging and you have to be a storyteller right. in order for that to come through the TV set. Um, in radio, you could, you have to do that with your voice. And on TV, you have to do that through a screen so they can see your facial expressions right. and, and feel the story. So you, you don't, you're not acting, you're just telling a story like you're telling, reading a story to a kid. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't I want to, to do the voices. You. <laughs> I want you to do that on the next newscast. I want you to make voices. But you want to be engaging. Right. And, and you want to tell the story so you don't have to say it again. Right. Um, and in, when you read a newspaper, if you get distracted, you can go back and read it again. Or if you get a little lost, you can read it again. When we're telling the story, we don't. We are only saying it once. And we have video that it has to match or it gets confusing. So you try to be engaging. And, and I've always thought that some stories don't need added emotion. Sure. Yes. I'm just you don't bring have up, yeah. to do anything. They're horrible. Yeah. And on those, when you can prepare yourself, sometimes I try to have the words go through my eyes and not through my brain. Explain that to me. Through, from my eyes to my mouth. Right. So you're just not thinking about it. You're just so reading. So it doesn't go through and trigger any emotions right. because it doesn't need to. Wow. I mean, some, or it'll make you cry. Right. And I would it, just ball on the air and, every and night. That happens. It's, it's happened before. Right. But that's when it didn't work. I, and I needed to, I was, fell into the telling the story part and right. and, and realized, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> I've can't invested do that. in this emotionally. And there are other times you tell, and I have people say, all you do is bad news. Hmm. Well, we don't. Yeah. We do a lot of good stories too. Right. People are doing good things. Um, the top of the show might be the bad stuff because that's the newest and right. it's breaking or whatever, or it's affecting a lot of people. Right. So that's what hits the, hits the top, but stick around and get the weather right. and the traffic <laughs> and the good stuff. Yeah, then you we get the puppy stories yeah. and the, and the right. vet stories. And, and we that. have a little fun. And, and that's one of the thing I think our morning show has always been known for is we're just your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've always had new producers coming in and they are the ones who are writing the scripts. And it's like, well, in the morning we use verbs. <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're telling stories. Right. We're telling people are just getting up. We don't want to yell at them. <laughs> right. So let's don't not yell headlines. We don't want to, you know, we, we want to use verbs and talk to people like they're sitting at our kitchen table right. and hopefully tell people what they need to know and, and tell fun stories too, because you need that. Oh yeah. You need to balance that. And out. I think we do a good job of that. Ron and I run bird and mm-hmm. I have been sitting a foot apart, except six feet apart for a <laughs> right. little chunk COVID of last year. The part. Yeah. And, uh, and we kind of know each other's triggers and we can have a little fun even with hard news. Right. You know, after hard news, it's hard to end on a horrible story and then toss to weather. Right. So how do you get there? Well, you talk about the inversion or you mm. talk about we need snow and without it being joking, but we need water. Right. You no, know, that kind of thing. So wow. that seems like a really emotionally difficult thing to do to, to keep that level up all the time when you, as you're telling stories, as you're sharing information and, and being a public persona, um, how do you, how do you live authentically and still have this public persona, but you still have a very private life. How do you how do you balance that? I think I'm the same on air and off air, for the most part. Right. 
So I think that helps because I'm not, I'm not playing a character. Right. I'm being myself. (laughs) You're playing yourself on TV. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in news and I, I was an English major. I love to write. So I like telling stories and I check facts. So when we do have new producers that are learning our style (laughs) and stuff, I also am asking, Hey, what city is that? Or what, you know, you left out the when and, (laughs) and, but, but, but Ron and I are also kind of professors. So we're looking at the writing and we're looking at how, how we're telling the stories, but that's what I do in person too. So do you cater your stories? So it is your voice. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the producers are supposed to read the story like the anchor would read it, right. if, whether it's Ron or me right. or Brian Malahi, you know, it's whoever is reading that story is the voice you should hear when you're writing it. Interesting. So how does, how does that happen? It doesn't always. <laughs> <laughs> like she sounds like Ron Bird right now. What's going no. on? <laughs> and sometimes it's the exact same script. In the morning, we do, are on for four and a half hours. Oh, that's a long so time. So they don't rewrite a lot. Right. And we, but then we tell the story differently every time because we know what's coming. Right. And we can make our own changes. And sometimes we do those on the fly. Wow. So that's a talent that really is a skill. You've had years to develop that skill, but right. that's still a skill. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, sometimes you're writing to the video that you have and you get limited in the video that you have. So if we're watching it while we're reading it and we can match it up. Right. And telling the story. And my, my podcast theme is always, um, how do you move toward love and away from fear? So what does that mean to you to move toward love? Can you think of a time that you've done that? Um, it's, I think it's something you learn from your family. I guess I, but, but I was lucky to have a family that was always... My dad, uh, even in his last days, he was thanking everybody, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no, th- thank you. Thank you. I'm no, I'm fine. Oh, wow. And but it's just he, he always wanted to make other people around him feel good. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't an effort. It's not something he had to m- make a mental note and say, oh, I need to be nice to this person. You know, <laughs> he just off. is. Yeah. And I think some people just want to make people feel good. And but to turn it into love, they're. I don't, I just think I like people. Oh, that, and that makes a difference. And I, I don't want to make people mad. Right. I, I don't honk my horn at people who cut me off. <laughs> that's, that's admirable. Because I don't think they're going to learn anything from it. Right. They're just going to get <laughs> mad back at you. <laughs> but that's, again, it's a teaching moment. It, right. But it's, but I try to teach my kids too, you know, they can't hear me swearing at them. So <laughs> it doesn't help. Right. Unlike my husband. <laughs> He thinks they can hear him. <laughs> and they don't. <laughs> and they don't. Very selective hearing. Yes. And they're still a bad driver and they're not going to change because you honk at them. So, Can you think of a time that was very scary for you to move toward love, whether it was a, a challenge or something new that you had to try? It was scary, but you knew that moving toward it would make you a better person. Can you think of any examples about that? I, I didn't. I was looking over and trying to think of things, but it just popped into my head now. Um, my breast cancer diagnosis. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. So it's been almost 10 years since your last treatment. Actually. Yeah. 10 years since diagnosis and going through treatment. Wow. But, um, being diagnosed, it was for a health story. Right. I was doing a story. You were just educating the public. I was getting a mammogram (laughs) and looked in the camera and said a few moments of discomfort could save my life. I'm all right with that. Wow. And aired the story and the doctor was nervous. And I thought he was nervous because it was his first time being on TV right. and being interviewed. He's like, uh. and he's, he's like, 
you need to come back. We, we want to take another look at, at a, an area. And I, I said, I have dense tissue. I, I've done this like sure. 10 times. Right. I've had to come back and it's no big deal. And I'm like patting him on the arm. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Reassuring <laughs> your doctor. <laughs> yeah, I'll be okay. It's volleyball season and I have to go do other stuff. So I'll come back whenever. And ended up getting a call from my usual doctor and said, okay, December 6th, I have an opening. When are you coming in? Wow. And I thought, oh, crap. So it was, uh, but then to turn it into a story. And that's when maybe embracing the love and going toward love instead is how do we turn this horrible thing into a message, into public health? So what was the moment that you realized you wanted to make this a story, that you wanted to go so in such a public venue that you wanted to to do that? I did instantly. Hmm. I, when my doctor, just talking to my doctor, he's the one, in fact, I think I was his first TV interview when he moved to Utah in 91. Wow. And he he thanks me for helping him learn how to do interviews, (laughs) Right. but he's still my doctor and he's amazing. (laughs) Dr. Brett Parkinson. I don't know if you've ever talked to him. There you go. Shout out. He's the head of um, imaging for Intermountain Healthcare. Oh, wow. And he's amazing. He's on another national panel at UCLA for... Um, mammogram and radiology and detection of cancer. Right. He's incredible. Wow. Um, but he's the one who had to tell me as well. Ugh. So for me, I'm seeing, okay, how do you do that? How do you tell people every day that yeah. they have cancer? And so I kind of put myself in their shoes because that's what reporters do. Right. It's the, the empathy. But as soon as that diagnosis came down, it's like, oh, this makes it even a bigger story, a more powerful story. Right. Maybe people will listen. And at first I wanted to do it, but then I had to talk to my husband and my kids. My, my kids were freshmen in high school Wow! And when, when I was diagnosed. And, and I said, I don't want people coming up to you saying, how, how are you? You're out here, your mom's dying. Right, exactly. You know? And Terrifying. They, said, they said, no, it, honestly, mom, it makes it a better story. Hmm. And they said the same thing. Maybe more people will get the message to get screenings. Wow. And I didn't want to just make it mammograms. My mom died of colon cancer hmm. and it's colon screenings. They're right. easy. That's one of the preventable cancers. If they find a polyp, they can cut it out and you don't even know right. and you don't get cancer, but you have to get the screenings. Um, and diabetes, uh, high cholesterol. I mean, so many different things right. you can get screened for and keep it from getting bad right? or prevent it altogether or cure it. Wow. And so I tried to turn it into a get your screenings story. I don't want to be the pink, pink ribbon you know, mammogram <laughs> yelling at people. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and the station was very supportive to, to yeah. help me do that. And we did a series of stories, one on losing my hair mm-hmm. and shopping for a wig. <laughs> I mean, trying to make it, and I have still have people say, I remember your story. Wow. And, but it was so long ago, where did you go? Or, you know, when did you decide, or did you shave your head first? That kind of thing. Right. And, um, I did a chemo 101. Hmm. I interviewed my oncologist while I was hooked up to chemo and shot the interview in the chair. And basically I said, well, it's kind of like collateral damage. You're blowing up a city to kill two bad guys. Right. (laughs) And he said, yeah, and that's what it is. And hopefully we get better. Right. You know, when Mm -hmm. my mom went through chemo 27 years ago, it wasn't, as good as it is now. Oh yeah. There were even more side effects. Right. But that was a lie, obviously, because that was <laughs> they changed their minds about how to <laughs> yeah. treat things. No, we've gotten better. <laughs> and they have now. I got to interview yeah. a doctor who's like isolating uh, uh, genomics. 
yeah, precision the genomics they can do now with and they can cells. treat cancer and they can detect it. They can tell you if your kids might be predisposed to having a certain kind of cancer now. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. So I get to learn all this stuff with, with my health stories. Right. So I had to turn my case into a health story hmm. and, and a message. But I thought, well, with chemo, you're, this is, oh, this is what my aunt went through, or this is what my brother went through. You, in, that's why you lose your taste buds. Right. It's killing the fast growing cells because cancer is a fast growing cell. So it's killing your taste buds. It's killing your stomach lining. It's killing your hair follicles. Wow. And that's why and if you, you survive. have these side effects. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was lucky. I never got nauseous. I ended up gaining weight on keto. Oh, really? Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I still ate what I wanted to eat, but it wasn't as fun. But it, trying to turn it into a message. But then it was about three years after I finished treatment that I realized um, I was faking it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't fine. Right. And how did you realize that? Um... It was after I was at three at the three year point with triple negative breast cancer. Most breast cancers, it's five years. Right. Then they say you're, you're in good. remission or you're good. Right. And with with the type I had, it usually comes back sooner and more aggressively. Hmm. And if if you go three years without it coming back, then you're good. Wow. And he told me my treatment worked. Hmm. And then I thought, oh my God. <laughs> then you could fall I apart. I just started bawling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I was scared every day. I mean, I, one of the stories, I took my wig off and I said, and some guy said, I, I'm faking it, that I'm I'm lying, <laughs> that I don't feel good and I'm faking it. And attention. it's like, no, but I feel fooled myself. <laughs> right. I mean, I wanted to fool my kids. Sure. I wanted them to think I was fine. I wanted my husband, I wanted the viewers to think I was fine. Right. I went to work every day. I missed four days of work. That's amazing. Because I didn't want people to worry about me. Right. And I faked myself out. I really did. I got up and went to work every day. Fake it till you make it. Right. Put the makeup put on, on. the armor put on. Your, uh, yeah. I mean, I look at video of recordings of those broadcasts and mm-hmm. I was green and puffy and mm. looked horrible. And I think <laughs> our viewers were really kind and forgiving. Right. But um, I, that's what let me get through it. But I also realized that I, at once I realized I had been faking it. Right. And that it sucked. Terrified. That it was horrible and it sucked every day and I was scared to death. Um, I realized that being a reporter, I was doing a story on someone else. Hmm. And that helped me get through it. Right. And everybody has their own coping mechanism. Sure. Yeah. And that was my coping mechanism. I look back and it's like, I was telling a story. Hmm. So when I was doing a story on chemo, it didn't hurt as bad because... You're just reporting. I was the person being interviewed for a story. Wow. And I was doing a story on this other woman. So there's like a, a block in your mind yeah. that kept you from connecting to the real fear there. Right. Yeah. And I was just telling a story. So yeah. it, it let me separate myself from and when reality. You could, when, you could, <laughs> when you could let down your guard, when you realized, okay, I'm going to be okay. You know, that curtain falls right. and everything just right. floods into your mind like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I kind of compare it to um, when I started out. I, I had to shoot and write and edit and do everything myself in Yakima, Washington <laughs> with a big old Likigami camera and a big old three quarter inch tape deck and cable and, and uh, horseback. No, I did actually do a story on horseback once. Did you really? But, uh, I believe that. But I, if I was interviewing a family or someone emotional, I was behind the camera mm-hmm. and I could. It's the distance. It was that curtain. Right. And I could look and zoom in mm-hmm. or I could, I could zoom out a little bit or make a difference to give me a wall. Right. And then I got here in Salt Lake 
and I had qualified photographers, right. <laughs> professionals who were doing that for me. And one of the first interviews I did that got to be emotional, it's like, <laughs> where's the camera? <laughs> where's, where's the camera? I need to hide <laughs> because I don't want to cry right? because I did. Right. And, but that's the thing is it let me be the reporter instead of sobbing on their shoulder. Right. And that's what it, that's what going through being a, the storyteller for my cancer hmm. helped me not break down. Wow. But it helped me and it, but it also made me realize that, uh, that I'm a decent reporter. Right. Yeah. That you could do that with your own experience. That as I, w- I was able to do that and tell the story with, with a purpose, not just telling the not story. Not just wallowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not trying to exploit anyone sure. or anything. I'm, yeah. No, I was exploiting cancer. Now they're going to be really <laughs> mad. Yeah, the pro-cancer people, they're going to be protesting in my front yard. They will. They're yeah. going to come after Leave you. Leave cancer alone. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you, you can pick a side. Yeah, but sometimes you have to. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm anti-cancer. Yes. <laughs> I will say that on the air. <laughs> what did that whole experience teach you about love? I learned a few different things. I had not, I had one friend who became very distant because I don't think they knew what to do. Hmm. Um, and then shortly after I finished treatment and everything, another one of our mutual friends went through it. And the friend that was distant for me was taking her, the, the new one to the spa and out to dinner and mm-hmm. visiting her once. And I thought, well, maybe she learned from me. Right. Not knowing what to do. Maybe she learned that there are things she can do on the next round. So it made her a better person. Maybe. <laughs> and and I, I never confronted her. I never made a point or anything. Like, I just, I, I, spa day. I, I just found it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some people who never asked me how you're doing. Hmm. Because they were uncomfortable. They didn't right. know. It's the fear. Well, yeah. and th- but then I, I love it, though, when I also get people who will email and say, I have a friend who was just diagnosed. How can I help? Mm. What's, the, who, what's the best thing someone did for you right. that I can do? And I said, uh, don't say, what can I do? Right. <laughs> because they'll say nothing. Right. I'm fine. I'm fine. Nothing. I'm fine. Um, say, I'm at the grocery store. Do you need anything? Let me pick up some produce for you. Right. Do you need a popsicle? You know, I'm here. Let me get, grab something and I'll stop by your house on my way home because then you're not imposing. Right. And nobody wants to feel like an imposition. I guess I didn't. I think some people like being pampered. Sure. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. It's like, let me heal. Yeah. Go away. Yeah. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Pretend I'm like I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Killing myself. So I, I don't know, just learning about people a little bit more. I kind of looked at the whole thing as an experiment in, in emotion. Um, I think I also learned that it's easier to be the patient than it is to be the caregiver. Hmm. And why do you think that is? Um, because the caregiver doesn't know hmm. what they can do and they can't make it better. Right. They can't fix it. And it's frustrating. And I know what I, what I feel and I say I'm fine, but my husband or my kids are like, what can I do? Can I, can I rub your feet? No, that, that, it's okay. No, I just want you to sit here with me. Right. You know, and I, but I felt bad because they wanted to make it all better. Right. And you know, it comes from a good place. Right. And because they love you. Yeah. And I'm not going to say go go away. (laughs) I'm just going to say, well, I don't know what you can do to help. Yeah. Cure cancer. Yeah. (laughs) Work on that. (laughs) Make the chemo go away. (laughs) But, but I also looked at it as 
looking on the bright side and how lucky. I mean, when my hair started falling out from chemo, that to me, I was like, yay, it's working. <laughs> the, it's killing myself. Honestly, cells. like the first two weeks, I felt fine. Hmm. And I mean, I went to basketball games and I was doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. We went, went to work and I thought, I'm not nauseous. I, you know, I, I actually so like, texted my doctor and said, are you sure we did it enough? I did, did, do we need to tweak the dose? Because right. there's nothing. And he's like, wait, wait for it. Yeah. And then my hair started falling out in clumps and right. handfuls. And I thought, oh, yes, it's working. <laughs> it is working. My body's destroying it's going. itself. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and, but then, at, you know, and, and then I've tried to express that to other people going through it. It's like, then embrace it. Right. It's like getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You know, it sucks for a day or two, but it means your antibodies are kicking in and, yeah. and they'll fight the virus. Right. So chemo was doing that. It was yeah. kicking stuff up. <laughs> wow. And coming kind of going full circle here back to the, the, the state of our country now, what, what can we do as everyday citizens to bring more love to our conversations, to each other, to our communities? What, what do we need to do to, to I don't, I'm not even going to say heal our country because I think it's so far past healing right now, mm -hmm. to get it toward a place where we can begin to heal? Listen, listen to people. I think we're so busy thinking about the argument and the response that we don't hear what they're saying. I mean, I know some very smart, loving, kind people who went down the rabbit hole hmm. and they believe untruths. They believe the misinformation. They believe the doctored videos and it's frustrating, but I still love them. And I try to hear their stories. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to agree and I'm not going to believe, but I can still love them and listen and understand that they believe differently. And I think a lot of people have trouble understanding that people believe differently and they're not just back ass words wrong. Right. And they're too willing to jump up and yell at people in all caps <laughs> and to call people names because that's acceptable now. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazing to me that that's, ex that's a level of, that we've gone that we've gotten to right now that it's it's fine to yell at people to swear at people to mm -hmm. you know troll them on social media and and to show anger yeah as support when anger is not supportive right that's a really good way of putting it yeah wow anger tears things down right anger and, destroys and protests are the same thing but a lot of protests are chanting they're right. not burning things down right um and they're trying to have their voices be heard yeah. And when they're not, then they get madder and madder. Right. I remember I yelled at somebody once. I was an adult. <laughs> and I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a yeller, but I remember we could just not see eye to eye. And I ended up yelling at him. And somebody said to me after, you know, why, why were you yelling? It's like, because he wasn't listening to me. And it's like, did he listen when you were yelling at him? It's like, no, he listened less. So, yeah, I think the louder our voices get, the less our ears are working. Well, and it's just so frustrating Yeah, when you're reporting the truth and people don't believe it. Yeah. And it's not, we're not making this up. Nobody's calling us and telling us what stories to run. No one's <laughs> calling us and saying, hey, pretend like this is real. Right. No, that doesn't happen. And millions of doctors around the world working to fight a worldwide pandemic is not politics. Yeah. It's a health matter. And it's trying to save lives. 
around the world. Yeah. Not just here in no, the United States. No, not just here. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've a lot of people have lost sight of the fact that it's not a, a United States disease. No, no, yeah. and and that's why it was so weird to have it become political because it's not. It's a health issue. It's yeah, a, you, it's public health. You see the rest of the world watching us. <laughs> They're like, what? What is happening? But we're watching other people too. <laughs> like Israel has a great vaccination yeah, rate, and, yeah. And so we're saying, okay, well, what if we all get our vaccinations? Well, they still had another round, right? You know, and and it's still going to hit, and you're going to have breakthrough cases. Well, yeah. don't point out the breakthrough cases because there might. Well, no, we still point them out. Right, we're we're right. still reporting it's the still facts. Still news, yeah, yeah. Wow. We'll see the vaccines don't work. <laughs> yes, they do. The breakthrough case, then they're home recovering. Maybe without the vaccine, they'd be dead. Right. Yeah. So they're doing something. Yeah. Something's yeah. working. But yeah, yeah. But we just can report what we've, the trusted people that we've gone to for decades will help us spread the message that is supposed to be spread, not misinformation. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of frustrating. Yeah. But but also listening and trying to listen and um and that's what I think being a good reporter too. You have to listen or you miss the good story. Right. And you can't tell their story. And but we also know that a lot of the people who don't believe us aren't watching anymore. Yeah, your fans are still watching. Hopefully people aren't watching to find the things that you're reporting on incorrectly because some people do that. Well, but I also hope that people are they, they realize that local news is what you can trust. Right. I know even my, my stepmom, when she didn't, she got high blood pressure when they'd watch MSNBC or CNN <laughs> or any, any right. that, because they're so, she gets just riled up. Yeah, they're in your face. And my dad was still sharp mentally. And so he would talk politics and say, well, I don't understand why. And, <laughs> and uh, so they would get, conversations going and then it would get worse right. so they started watching hallmark movies for crying out loud <laughs> it's like oh dad please that's like the the worst actually <laughs> that's the worst solution to any that's any when part. my blood pressure goes up <laughs> mine too. But, but she w she wouldn't watch the local news either hmm. and so I, I i said well watch the local news they're doing what's going on in seattle to tell you about the weather and about the traffic and issues that are affecting your neighborhood and that's what the local news does. We don't just sit around a table and talk politics and yell at people. Right. And so hopefully people realize that. And local news, we actually are telling you what's going on and trying to help you plan your day and letting you know where you can go if you want to give your opinion. You know, there's the public comment section. Here's where you need to go on for this school board meeting right. or anything like that. And we're trying to help people channel their opinions it's all local. I mean, we're talking about Utah. We have the largest coverage space of any media market. Oh, really? We, we have from, you know, St. George and parts of Nevada and Idaho oh, and yeah. Wyoming. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's a huge area and we have to cover all of it. And, and it, but it's important to all of those communities. And we're not just yelling politics or memorizing someone's campaign speech. <laughs> right. We don't do that. <laughs> Well, you do it really well. We have too and much to do. I hope you continue on for 30 more years. I hope they'll keep me. <laughs> I, I just hope, so hope they keep, keep zooming the camera out farther. <laughs> they don't have to. I don't like those tight shots. On the HD, on, on the a 60 inch TV, my nose is like three feet big. It's not fair. I uh, watch movies and think, I couldn't watch myself on a big screen ah, like this. Would that be terrifying? I mean, I'm just looking at every little <laughs> I know. wrinkle, every little fleck of mascara that, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for being here, Mary. It is such a pleasure to talk to you. You're so intelligent and have such Aww. good opinions on things. And you really bring a light to the world and the community. And I hope you realize what a difference you make in the news community because you really are respected oh, here. Oh, thank you. So thank, thank you, you so And thanks much. for having me, Perry. Absolutely. And if you want to support the podcast, I have my Life and Laughter books for sale, $12. And you can Venmo me at Perry-Kinder. Help me pay for Roger's services of producing and now building podcast studios. So he is the best. Way to go, Roger. <laughs> thanks so much. Have a great day and come back soon. Do you want more life and laughter? Check out my blog at lnlcoaching.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Life and Laughter Coaching. See you again soon.